Uh, we're going to have communion towards the end of the service and sing some, a couple more songs. But I've got a joke for you. I'm glad you're already laughing because most of you probably have heard this, but if y'all will laugh, I'd appreciate it. Kind of goes along with the message I have today. There was a, a man that got stranded on a desert island. And he was there for years. And finally a ship noticed some structures that he had built. And they went and they rescued him. And got on the ship and he said, well, what are those three buildings out there, those three huts that you built? He said, well, the first one's my house. The second one's my church. And the third one is the church that I used to go to. <laughs> Well, thank you. You know, that's funny, but it's got some truth to it, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I want to talk to you about and this, this, this message is going to kind of get down to the, uh, to the core of Christianity. And it's, uh, if I was going to give it a title, it would be, How Does Love Turn to Bitterness? You know, I'm, I'm thankful for my family. You know, I've, uh, I've got my brothers and sisters. I, I love them, and they mostly love me. And, you know, we don't, may not always get along, but we always love each other. And I've got... Josie and the girls and the grandkids, and I'm so grateful for the, for that and how God has has kept us in love with one another. And I've been to church a long time, and you just don't see that as much in church as it should be because we should be even more in love with her, with each other because we're bound in blood, and it's the blood of Jesus. And so... Uh, this wasn't the exact message I was going to preach, but sometimes God brings circumstances along during the week and people along during the week that kind of kind of stirred this up in me. Uh, I was uh, I was looking on uh, Billy Graham's website. I like to keep up with Billy Graham. What a man of God! You talk about somebody who has set an example. For us as believers, Billy Graham, but they've got kind of a blog, I guess you'd call it, and they had this one, I would assume these are young people that had written and they said, aren't Christians supposed to love each other? We joined a church after moving to a new city and all the people do is bicker, often about the smallest things. I'm a newcomer to the Christian faith, but I'm discouraged. And so they talked to him about how we are all at different levels, how we're learning to love Jesus and learning how to love one another. But they gave him this verse, and this is out of the American Standard, New American Standard Bible. It's in John 15. Uh, verse 9 through 12. 
says, just as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You know, sometimes I think in the New Testament, because we don't live under the law, we think what God has said in the New Testament are suggestions. But what happens to us in the New Testament, if we don't, if we're not pushing towards the mark, then we will open a door for Satan to come in, and then we wonder how this ever happened in my life. Just I have, just as I have kept my Father's commandment in a, abide in love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, if we will abide in in the type of love that Jesus had for us with one another, then our joy will be full. And this was the disciples' relationship to each other, and that's what what they related to this guy. This was the disciples' relationship with each other. We're disciples. That should be our relationship with one another. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And this church doesn't have that big a problem with that, I don't think. I think that we are learning to love each other. I've been in places where there wasn't that much love circumstances. There wasn't that much unity, and we're moving towards that, and and I'm I'm grateful for that. But, you know, we all should be uh, uh, pushing, pushing more towards that. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. Uh, there's a scripture further down in Ephesians says we're children of light. We're children. We're God's children. But we're children. And we're at different levels. I mean, there's people who's walked with the Lord a long time and people uh, who haven't walked with the Lord very long and sometimes it's not the length of time that you walk with the Lord it's the length of your commitment to God for God to change you but we're all at different levels of maturity Wednesday night we did a video and and John was doing the youth and he asked me to kind of oversee the video and he said it's randy remington and the first thing that came to my mind he's going to give us some tips on shooting skeet gotta be with a name like remington right (laughs) and i need help the randy remington pastor of uh a church a Worth church in oregon and he said some real good things he was talking about light and darkness and how darkness can't abide in the light. And then he said something. You know, sometimes somebody will say something and say, well, this one will stick with me because it witnesses to me. As we walk out our life, 
God will shine light into the darkness that's in our lives. And he won't do it all at once. I mean, we couldn't stand it. But he will, as we walk out our lives, he will shine his light on the darkness in our life. And sometimes we'll pause and say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this was in my life. You know, but that's what God does. That's what God does. He's light. In James, James says, faith without works is dead. And that sometimes can get confusing because faith and works are different. Right? But what he's saying is, I'll give you an example. God gives you a car. You don't have a car. God gives you a car to drive. But guess what you got to do? You got to go get in the car. You got to start it. You got to put it in gear. That's the kind of works that he's talking about. That's how we should be responding to God. When God shines the light on the darkness in our life, God, I give that to you. Now help me walk through this. I want to be on the other side of this. I don't want this in my life anymore. And so I believe, and this is me, I believe that we walk in so much grace. And so God gives us the grace to continue on and then he shines a light and he expects us to do something. We're still in his grace. But God said, I want you to do something with this. He don't just shine the light on something in your life and you think, well, I can take care of that next week. God's saying, I want you to take care of this. I wouldn't have revealed it to you. And so... I appreciate what God's doing in this body. The last year or so, you know, he wouldn't have been bringing this, us this message, these messages if we wasn't in need of these messages and going to need them for now and for the future. But uh, uh, the bait of Satan. John Bevere, as one of his first 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 real strong teachings that that he did but it's about taking offense and he talked about the funny thing on goes along with the joke is he got a little upset at church and he left because he got upset and god brought him back because god didn't tell him you should go you know but he took offense we take offense and what happens somebody says something somebody you think does something and sometimes the person don't even know that that, that they offended you but you take take offended, offended, offense and turns into unforgiveness in your life and then you have really really opened up something that you're going to have to deal with in your life opens the door to the enemy and so it will turn into bitterness Anybody known anybody that is bitter? That is bitter. This, never has anything good to say. And and I remember an old man used to come in the store that he was bitter, very bitter, old man. And uh, and so uh, he died alone. He didn't have any friends. You know, he didn't have anybody because he had turned so bitter. 
I think of a bitter old man, and, and I like Christmas. I think of, uh, of It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter is a good example of a bitter old man. You know what? No one wants to become bitter. We don't sit out and say, you know what? I'm going to be the most bitter person in the world. Nobody wants to be, be bitter at the slow growth. You know, we don't become bitter overnight. Bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. You know what happens when something ferments. And so what we end up doing, we hold on to the past hurts and we become drunk on our pain, on our disappointment, on the experience. And it robs us. It robs us of joy and it robs us of peace. You know, one thing that I have learned about unforgiveness is somebody's always got to take the first step to restore the relationship for forgiveness. And guess what? We as believers, it's usually us that God says, take the first step. Get rid of this thing. So we talk about losing our joy. And you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I can tell you, this old man I'm talking about had no love in him. Joy, he had no joy, he had no peace. He certainly wasn't long-suffering. He wasn't kind. He wasn't good. He wasn't faithful. He wasn't gentle. And he had no self-control. That's what bitterness does to, to us. Later on in uh, Galatians 5, it says, Against such there is no law. Against these fruits of the Spirit. And those who, have, have, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk, also walk in the Spirit. Guess what? If we're not uh, in the Spirit, then we're in the flesh. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Praise God. Some say, well, I'm, 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 I'm feeling weak. Well, where's your joy? What's happened to your joy? Sometimes, you know, we just need to, need to uh, sit down with God. and God, I don't like where I am right now. I don't know what's happened. But I don't like where I am right now. Show me. Take me out of this. I was looking at uh, some definitions for bitterness, and it says a sharp taste. Example was, and also an example was, it was a bitter winter. I've spent time in places that got like 40 below zero. I know about bitter winters. I know what that means. It also says alcohol and coffee. And I got to thinking, 
Well, that sounds like something you have to develop a taste for. You know, and I about, uh, about decided if, if it doesn't taste good that I probably shouldn't try to develop a taste for it. But that's what bitterness is. After a while, I think you develop a taste for it. Hebrews 12 talks about a root of bitterness, and it says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Have you ever pulled weeds? (laughs) Those roots grow deep, and they get all of these things that come off of them. And so if you're pulling weeds, what do you got to do? Got to pull them up by the roots. You know, it seems like you poison them and they grow. Kind of like bitterness. It's a poison. But, you know, you can't even break it off. You can't take a weed and chop it. You can't chop weeds. My dad said, you can't chop weeds, huh? You got to pull them up. They'll come back, and they'll come back stronger. The roots will get bigger. The first part of Hebrews twelve fifteen says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I need to look after you. You need to look after me. We need to look after one another. We need to have such a relationship that and I, th- I think me and Ronnie have that relationship because we've known each other for 40 years. But that you can sit down and say, what's going on in your life? I can tell that there's something not right. You know, that's why we have each other, and we need to be willing to not only say that, but to receive it. Watch out for the root of bitterness. It's poison. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's us. We ought to put that up on our mirror or on our refrigerator so that we know that we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven us. And so there's a lot of scriptures, a lot of scriptures that tell us to love each other, talking to the body of Christ. Love each other, love each other. We need to love one another. You know why? Because how can we, how can we love our brothers and sisters at Kelvy Baptist Church or whatever church if we can't love our body here? You know, one of the first things Satan did as the church was being formed is he divided us. God never meant for us to be divided. God God expects us to be in unity with one another. And I may not always believe the same things 
that somebody else believes, that another church believes, but as long as they believe what Jesus did, then we can be in unity. I think of the uh, example that my brothers and I had as, as, as we were growing up. And my mom and dad grew up at a tough time during the Depression. My mom's mother died when she was just a baby. And she was passed around to kinfolks that would take her for a while, her and her brother and sister. And sometimes granddad wouldn't do what granddad said he was going to do. And so they would put them out. And they would have to go find some relative to stay with. Her and my dad was raised up, raised up in the same small town. And, and dad would say, you know, your mom, the poor people called them poor. They didn't have nothing. Mom used to talk about wearing a flower sack for a dress. I remember growing up, they would talk about those times, and they would laugh about it. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. And they would laugh about it. They, they, uh, they didn't become bitter because what they had faced and what they had went through, and what an example that is, as, as, as I grew older, I thought a lot about that. My, my dad, for the most part of my, my young life, was a driller. And that was back in the days that they worked seven days a week. And if during the summer they rigged down, they would, we would go somewhere. But it's seven days a week. Sometimes he'd pull doubles. He liked evening tower. It was eventually six of us kids, but for a long time there was four of four of us. Mom had a, two little surprises come her way, and uh, I remember uh, we used to move from place to place, but uh, Mom put down her foot and said, "That's not good for these kids to change schools so much." And so she decided, they, we, they decided that they were going to live in Wink. And Dad would drive to, his, to wherever they were drilling. And so sometimes it would be 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when Dad came in and Mom always stayed up and waited for him. And then she got up at 6 to get the kids ready for school. You know, I, I tell my brothers when I think of Mom, I think of her uh, cleaning the kitchen, mopping the floors. There wasn't a germ there come near her house. She did that every day. And then Dennis said, yeah, and she was always humming. She was always humming, never bitter. Never bitter at the circumstance that they were in. Never complained. We weren't allowed to have pity parties. You know, we had to get over it pretty quick. But there was always laughter in our home. I can hear mom's laughter, you know. What a gift that was to us 
that you can go through whatever hard times you have to go through, but you don't have to lose your joy. You can still laugh about it. You can still hum at the music. So my question is, with our kids, what kind of example are we setting? What kind of example are we setting for those around us? You know, I hear people say to other people, well, that was just wrong. You deserved whatever. And I remember mom would say that to us, but it was you deserve a whipping. (laughs) But whenever we do that, especially whenever we let our children show show our children bitterness in us we're sowing seeds in their life we're always sowing seeds but we want to sow good seeds seeds of forgiveness and not unforgiveness now god kind of years ago several years ago i was reading first john if you want to know about loving each other read first john and ask guy god to shine the light on that and i saw how unloving i really was being and so i still go back if you want to know my password is first john 316 every time i type it into a computer i'm reminded of how i should be loving my brothers and sisters you know god told us that we're to love our enemy how can we love our enemy if we don't love the ones that we're supposed to love and so as I was thinking about this message I believe God sent an old man and an old woman across my path and they I will always remember what a blessing they were we were we were selling some of my brother's wife's sewing stuff at an estate sale. And so one thing that I learned is most of the most of the women who sew and quilt are Christians. Isn't that odd? You know, but but this couple came in and they were probably in their mid eighties, mid to late eighties. And she was going through all the patterns and we had a Gary's wife had an old singer sewing machine that was built in the fifties. And uh, remind me of mom's sewing machine. She always sewed my sister's clothes, sewed patches on our jeans. But anyway, she was looking at that, and we had $150 on it, and they sell for about $300, but we decided we were going to mark everything half price. And she said, I sure do like that. And so she went out to talk to her husband. So Joseph and I turned to each other and said, you know, we ought to give that to her. You know, so they came back in, and she reminded me of my mom. She was about the same size and wore the same type of clothes mom wore. She told us, we said, well, how do you sew? She said, I make my clothes. And so anyway, she brought her husband in there, and she said, I would like to have this. And... He said, well, how much is it? And she said, it's $150. She said, well, that's a bargain. 
And so we said, you know what? You can have that sewing machine. And he said, no. It's going to be her Christmas present. My Christmas will be done. You know? <laughs> and I understood that. <laughs> it's a fact. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll set it up and run. But before this, we, they were, she was telling us, now, get a hold of this. These people are in their mid, at least their mid-80s. And she said, you know, we used to live somewhere else, and she didn't tell us where. She said, when we moved here, we put all of our stuff in storage. And she was looking at the buttons. And she said, I had so many buttons, but I could look at those buttons. I said, Grandma had that on her shirt, on her shirt, on her dress or whatever. And so they would remind me of my grandma and my mama. He said, but when we signed up at the storage, they said, well, if you'll sign up for six months, we'll give you a month free. And she said, that sounded like a bargain. And so we did that, but there was no writing. Nothing was in writing. And so it went past six months, and they sold my stuff. Everything that I had that was so precious to me, they sold it. And I went back and found out that they did that a lot. And she said, I was angry. But then I remembered God's goodness. I said, so are you okay now? She said, oh, I'm more than okay now. You know. Is that not what love is about? Anyway, and this is, uh, I'm through with the message, but anyway, this, this is a funny, funny thing about the sewing machine. Is a, I said, well, let me plug it up, and we'll make sure everything works on it. And so I remember Mom always had her oiler out because she said, if you don't run, just put oil in it, you know. And so... Uh, we started it, and I said, now, if I remember correctly, you got to push this wheel. She said, yeah, you got to push that wheel. So I pushed it, and it started. It started running. But it was running, but the needle wasn't moving. I said, well, that's not good. And she said, it's okay. I'll fix it. And I said, no, I want to make sure that it works. And he said, well, I can fix it. And her husband said, let him work. He said, well, I can fix it. I said, I bet you can fix it. And so... Josie brought me a little screwdriver, so I opened up the side where all the needleworks was. And sure enough, nothing was moving over there whenever she said, I can fix it. And her husband said, well, she probably could, we would enjoy it if she just sat there and looked at him. She kind of looked at him like this, you know, like you've probably said too much. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so she said, if you will take that screwdriver of yours and you'll put it on this screw right here. And if you'll tighten it down, that'll work. I said, really? He said, yeah, but don't turn it backwards. If you turn it backwards, all the springs will come out of it. I said, well, I'm not going to turn it backwards. <laughs> you know. So I turned, tightened the screw up, and guess what? It worked. It worked. And she told me, my daddy repaired all kinds of machines like this. And so they took it, but what a blessing. What a lesson. If we will... Sometimes just listen to the people that God sends our way. That's Sometimes that's the way that God speaks to you. So if you got something that you need to deal with, whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness, or, or maybe I, I, I might have started something that might turn that way.
communion is a good time to do that. And so Ronnie's going to come up. What we're going to do in a minute, oh, this is a prelude to the end. Uh, what we're going to do in a minute, we're all going to get up and we're going to walk around. You see, I, I've got this thing in my mind, like the word says, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Give means Ronnie or you have to do something. You have to do something. So our giving today is our moving and these guys just standing here and holding the bread and the wine. So, so in a little bit, we'll I'll have y'all stand up and we'll go around. James, can you carry the stuff or we need to bring it to you? Bring it to you. Okay. So he'll be the first one. We'll take it to him and then we'll. I want everybody to be thinking about the two words. Offense and unforgiveness. I'm not talking big or little. Some of, some of us have big offenses. Some of, some of us have thought of little offenses that have happened just this week. Maybe today. Maybe just driving to church. Somebody cut us off. And we took offense. Hey, maybe... We didn't do the toothbrush just right, the toothpaste just right, and our wife took offense because we just laid it down instead of put it up or whatever. It's, it's the little foxes that fall the vines. It's the little offenses. We're not talking about earth-moving deals. We're talking about life. If you woke up this morning, I promise you, you had some kind of a chance, at least this once this week, to have an offense. The deal is, I'm going to tell you a little story, and I'm going to just is trying to, to push you to go ahead and take care of that offense. You see, I, I, I loaded some cows this week, and, and the, the cows, they get up to the trailer, and they jump right in the trailer. But I have these 700-pound calves, and they get up to the trailer, and they've never been to a trailer before. They never messed with an offense or something that messed them up before. So they get up there, and it's right there at their knees, and they, like, get there. And then all these calves sitting back here, they're getting antsy, so they're turning around, getting out of there. They don't, they like, and this guy here is sitting right, right there. And there's the mamas right up there, and they're sitting right here. And you can holler all you want to. You can scream. You can... I did everything I could, and my friend did too, and so this is what I did. And this didn't hurt the calf, but he knew I was back there. I grabbed his tail, and I turned it around and around until it finally got a little bit of a bind, and it made him a little antsy. And so when he finally got antsy, he picked his four feet up and jumped up in there. Oh, get away from that guy that's, that's, that's back there. That's the way this is. We've got to take care of our offense. I'm just moving y'all from being like looking at a guy up here talking to talking to tail to, to getting a fence, take care of an offense. Uh, unforgiveness is serious. 
you know what? I think unforgiveness can kind of end it up in maybe cancer, heart problems, blah, 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 whatever. But let's take care this Sunday of offense. You know, if I was a, if I was setting over judgment of people every day, Terry has a chance to take offense. This guy didn't do that, and so this and that, and so, so, so he, Terry could say, "Well, I take offense of that. This guy and that, but we're not judge of everybody. It's, you can take offense on the least little things." I've had waitresses that give me an offense. I'm calling. Carly knows if I get one of those waitresses, my goal before I leave there is to get over that offense for myself, but also try to find out what's jabbing that girl or guy that makes them so irritable. Come off. I mean, if y'all had a waitress like that before or waiter, I have. So let's take care. This is just to encourage you to let's let's go take care of our little offense. Just one. Just everybody in here ought to have one. I mean, even I have one. I have a lot more than one. (laughs) But let's take care of offense. And what the what what the deal is, Carly? I need you to go ahead and read our uh, scripture. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 11. Um, I'm reading out of this new translation Bible. The verses aren't marked. The message Bible. Okay, yeah, the message Bible. 1 Corinthians 11. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink the cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just come boldly before you today. Thank you for your body that you gave freely for us in payment for the brokenness in our lives. And today as we take this symbol of your body in the form of bread, just minister to us the things that you want to show us, tell us, teach us, or just remove from us in Jesus' name. Because you said, this is my body broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. 